Hey, this is David Perkins, pastor of Radiant Church. Thanks so much for checking out our podcast. I hope and I pray that the content helps you grow as a follower of Jesus. We'd love to see you at one of our services on Sundays or maybe at our Bold Conference this summer. Remember this, those who look to Him are radiant. Appreciate you inviting me out on this Sunday, David. Thank you. Seriously, it means a lot. But it is good to be here, and we definitely feel like family and just so love what God's doing here and have absolutely, I don't just, I don't just say this, I've been cheering you on from California, really encouraged by what God's doing here. And, and uh, David is just a, a really dear friend and, and extremely, I don't, I don't say this lightly as well, there's a handful of leaders that impress me, inspire me, challenge me. He's one of them. And so really just so grateful to be able to come here and jump into my extended family in Kansas City. Um, I, I want to jump into the word today if we can. I've got something that's kind of stirring in my heart. Give you a little bit of context if I could first, though. Um, we, uh, I, I am 42 years old, been married 21 years uh, this next, in December, in, in just a month. Wow, in a month. 21 years to the same woman. And uh, been married 21 years. I have a 19-year-old daughter who is a sophomore in college. I have a 16-year-old daughter who's a sophomore in high school, and I have a 13-year-old son who's uh, seventh grade uh, in middle school. And uh, so Eliana, her name's Ellie, Eliana, Raya, and Lake. Uh, all my kids have names that we've really put some effort into to really have meaning. Uh, Eliana is, uh, it means my God has answered me. It's Hebrew. It's feminine form of Elijah. And my daughter's name is Raya. It means friend of God. And her middle name is Rain, after Joel 2:23 and 24. And uh, anyway, it's a long story. My son's name is Lake. If you ever know a guy named John G. Lake, who was a preacher way back in the day. And um, anyways, all of them have like really powerful, meaningful names because my name doesn't mean anything at all. People are always, they always get my name wrong. They always butcher it. They can't quite figure it out. But Banning Liebscher, Liebscher is, uh, Lee, it's German. Lieb is love. So my parents growing up told me that my last name meant lover. So I thought, this is fantastic. Lover, that's cool. And I let all the ladies in high school know my last name was lover. And then my first, I went to a Christian school my entire life, preschool through college Christian school. And, um, and so in sixth grade, a mom came into our class of 25 kids. She's like, I'm going to find out what all of your names mean. So uh, they bring back like a full-on piece of paper printed like in a little frame. And banning meant strong warrior, great protector. And so I thought, this is fantastic. Like my name is really, really great. And, and when the early 90s hit and the prophetic movement was just all over the place and everything was prophetic, I was like, God could not have named me better. Uh, my name is so prophetic. And then uh, we were about to have our second kid, and I was looking in a baby book at a mall. I'll never forget. I was in a, a bookstore in a mall with like one of those turnstile kind of book things. That I got a baby book came out, and I found my name. And I'm like, this is fantastic. I finally, I've never seen my name in a baby book. And I'm like, finally, like I'm going to be able to take this and have proof of how prophetically profound my name is. And uh and I read it, and I found out it doesn't mean strong warrior, great protector. It's Irish, and it means small, fair one. <laughs> you laugh, but like my world started crumbling because I was like, it was this weird mixture of I've been living a lie and like angry at that sixth grade mom who like did, you know, but I kind of like, I'm all right. It's still cool. I still got Leapshire. Leapshire's cool, right? Lover's cool. I still got lover. Small, fair one. My name in Irish is like little dorky kid, but I still have lover. That's cool. That's prophetic. 
And then uh, about two months later, a guy from Germany is at our church. And my friend's in the back, and he's talking to me. He said, well, Banning, his, his last name's Liebscher. And he tells the guy from Germany. He goes, it's Liebscher, and in German, it means lover. And the guy from Germany goes, no, no, it doesn't. He goes, what's it mean? He goes, I think it means love handles. which has become a little more prophetic in my 40s. But <laughs> so in two months, I went from strong warrior, great protector, lover to small, fair one, love handles. And so we have committed in my heart, all of my kids are going to have powerfully prophetic names that speak something over them because my name is not. Uh, but uh, so that's my family. And then we planted a church about four years ago, just a couple years before you guys in Sacramento. I was born and raised in a city called Reading. I was on staff at a church called Bethel Church for 18 years before I picked up and we moved with Jesus culture. If you have your Bibles, get them out. Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. And then we're going to go to Ephesians chapter 4. So we're going to hang out with Paul for a little bit this morning. I, uh, um, I, I'm a... I'm a die, die hard local church guy. Like I believe deeply in the local church. I grew up in the church, but then when I was a senior in high school, really just dove headfirst into the church. And I, I believe deeply in the role of the local church in both the life of a believer and in a city. That, that if you were to cut me at my core and ask me what I'm really about, I want to see revival. That's what I want to see. I want to see a move of the Holy Spirit marked by the power and presence of God that awakens the church to a greater passion for Jesus and his cause on the earth that sees the lost saved and culture transformed. Like, I want to see revival. I want to see a move of God. But what I'm convinced is, is that the local church is the vehicle by which God releases this stuff in the earth. And so I'm a diehard local church guy. Go after that. We planted a church. But I really believe that God wants to uh, have us relook at the local church. Now, some of you guys, you may have grown up in church. This may be what you've done Sunday mornings, small groups, church stuff like this, what you've done your whole life. Others of you, maybe you didn't grow up in church. You didn't grow up in a family. You didn't grow up in a family that went to church. Wherever you're at, I really believe that God wants us to kind of relook again at the church and the purpose of the church and how we're to engage the church. Because this matters. It really does matter. How we view something or how we interact with something is, is completely on how we see it. In other words, if, and I believe that God wants to shift that a little bit, that he wants to kind of shift our perspective. He wants to shift our perspective. Where if you've ever looked at something and you've kind of had a hard time making it out and then you kind of change your angle slightly and you can see it clearly, this is what I believe God wants to do. And I believe he wants to do it around this issue, around the church as a family, not a business. Now, again, I'm going to unpack that a little bit because I believe that we all desire that. We all long for that. We all want the church to be a family. We don't want the church to be a business. But I'm not sure we really follow that line of thinking out. I'm not sure we really follow that thread and say, well, then what is required of my life? What does that look like? Because many people are very tripped up on this. They don't realize it. They long for family, but they approach church as if it's a business. And, 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 and when I, if I, again, if I'm looking at something, how I see it or how I perceive it determines how I interact and engage with it. If I see it one way, I interact with it one way. If I perceive it one way, I engage that way with it. And so how I see something 
is very important because it's going to determine how I engage it. And many people in the church are frustrated because they're looking at the church one way, but it's really uh, something else. And so they're trying to interact with it one way. The Bible makes it very clear that the church is a family, that the church is a house that we come and belong to. There's many different, um, uh, there's many different pictures that are given to us about what the church is, an army and metaphors. But when you read the writings of Paul, it is heavily, heavily family language. Listen to this in uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. So it said, listen, when you were, so, so before you were saved, you were separate, but, but you're no longer separate because when you were redeemed, you now have become a part of a household of God. And if I view the church as something other than that, it becomes very problematic I, uh, um, I, I, I'm, a, I'm a big customer service guy. I, you know, I don't, I, I just like good customer service. It could just be an American thing. I don't know if you've ever been, anybody from England? Okay, because I'm going to, I apologize for offending your nation for a moment. But England, we're over there every year, have a church over there, very invested. The worst customer service you've ever been at, ever. It's just horrible. Like every time you're in a restaurant, it feels like you're an inconvenience for being there, you know. And, uh. So, so it may just be my American, like I believe it's my American God-given right to have good customer service. But when I go into a restaurant, I'm expecting something. Now, I'm not the guy who throws a fit if it doesn't happen, but I do remember it. If I walk in and sit down at a table and it takes a while for somebody to come check on me and bring some water and see how I'm doing, again, I don't throw a fit. I just remember it. If I, if I ask specifically for when I tell the waiter, you know, hey, please don't put any tomatoes in this because I think I can biblically prove from Revelation that tomatoes are somehow tied in with the Antichrist. They're somehow, I don't know if anybody, we're, don't, be a, don't be ashamed to admit that fact. But if I'm like, please don't put any tomatoes in my dish, if they bring the meal out with tomatoes, I don't get angry with them. I push them off to the side, but I remember because I expect good customer service. And when I'm in a restaurant, that's fine. I'm in a restaurant. I'm paying money for them to serve. This is, this is the scenario I'm in. It becomes problematic if I approach my house the same way. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, just to, to let you know, I, I have a holy fear of my wife, so I would never do this. But if you can imagine me walking into my house, walking into my house, sitting down on my table, and then sitting there waiting, wondering why nobody's brought me any water. Why nobody's checked on me. Why there's no little bread, you know, why nobody's brought a little basket of bread out. And about 10 minutes after sitting at my table, I'm like, is anybody going to bring me water? All over the, all over, no, no, no. Get up, get your own water. What's wrong with you? I, I'm like, can, you know, can you imagine if I'm like, oh, I just cannot believe this. I am going to go, this, I'm taking my money elsewhere. This is unbelievable. Like, it just doesn't make sense. It's problematic because I'm not in a restaurant. I'm in a house. And if I approach my house as if it's a restaurant, if I approach my house as if it's a hotel, one of the things that drives me crazy at hotels is if I get back at four or five before the night service after the day and they haven't come in and cleaned it. Can you imagine if I came home though after work at my house and I'm like, why are my clothes still on the ground? 
Why is my bed still unmade? And why has somebody not put a mint on it? Because it doesn't, it's not a hotel that I just walked into. It's a house I just walked into. It's not a restaurant that I just sat down in. It's a house. And how I perceive something matters greatly because it determines how I'm going to interact with it. We all long for family. We want church to be family, but without realizing it, we have approached it as if it's a business rather than a family. We've approached it as if it's a restaurant rather than a house, and many people are frustrated and getting tripped up because of this issue. We have been redeemed into a household of God. And one of the things we have to understand is what is the purpose of the church? What, when, when we come to church, what is it that God's trying to accomplish? In Ephesians, we're going to read this. In, in Ephesians, we're going to jump into this passage about the fivefold ministry. But, but when I... Let me read this to you real quick. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 through 15. This is the, the fivefold ministry we're talking about. This is the apostle, prophet, pastor, evangelist, teacher. Now, whether or not you came from an environment that believed in the fivefold or not, these are, these are uh, God-given gifts, leadership structure that's been given to the church. They're gifts that have been given to us. What we have to ask is, why have they been given to us? Because this matters. Listen to this in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. What I would say is the normal Christian life. For the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Uh, one translation says to a mature man. Now, I don't want to unpack this fully, except for I want to say this, that he's talking about the concept of sanctification. And this is going to matter because justification is, it's that one-time act I now have legal standing before God. I, when I stand before him one day, I am justified. I have justification because of what Christ did. He now sees me through the blood of Christ. Sanctification is the ongoing work in my life of the Holy Spirit who is maturing and growing me, who is empowering me to day in, day out look like Jesus. So this is what he's talking about. He said, listen, the fivefold has been given to you to equip you for the normal Christian life, to edify you so that you will grow into a mature man so that the fullness of Christ, the stature of Christ would manifest in your life. Then listen to this, to the perfect man, to a mature man, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. By the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth and love may grow up in all things into him who is the head Christ. I'm gonna, I want to talk to you about why it's so important that we see the church as a family. But you have to understand this. The goal is maturity. What God is going after in your life is a life that is maturing daily to look like Christ. This is the goal. Success looks like today I look more like Christ than I did yesterday. Amen. That the way I view things is more like him. The way I interact with things is more like him. The way I react is, is more like him. The way that I see things. That my life is looking like him. The fruits of the Spirit 
are actually is describing Jesus, that the fruits of the Spirit are manifesting in my life, that sanctification is happening. The whole game is maturity. The whole game is maturity, that your life would mature daily to look more like Christ. So Paul says, listen, there's, there's gifts that have been given to you, and one of the main reasons why these gifts have been given to you, so that you would mature, so that you would no longer be a child, so that you would grow up into Christ. This is the goal. Now, if we approach the church as something other than a family, we have a problem because family is the natural structure and order where maturity happens. The natural flow of family is maturity. The natural flow of healthy family, it is fathers and mothers who have sons and daughters who raises fathers and mothers who have sons and daughters who raises fathers and mothers who have sons and daughters who raise fathers. But this is the whole goal. The natural flow of family is maturity. As a dad, my goal is that my kids would mature physically, spiritually, emotionally, relationally, mentally. My goal is that they would mature. That's what success looks like. That's what I'm after. And this is what I'm concerned about. This is what I, I care deeply about. That's why sometimes I'm thrown off when people come into the church and they're so confused why people would be like up in their business in their life. If my son at 13 stopped growing, if he physically just stopped growing, we would be concerned. Like, I would be concerned. My wife would be concerned. His aunt would be concerned. His grandparents would be concerned. His siblings would be concerned. We would, we would wonder, something's wrong. We would take him to the doctor and say, something's happening. He's not growing. But man, we come into church sometimes. We don't realize that we're walking into a house. We're walking into a family whose goal is maturity in our life. And then when people come, uh, this should be the most normal thing in the world that just says, hey, what's your name? Yeah, Aaron. That, 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 that this should not throw us off when somebody comes and says, Aaron, something's wrong. What is it? You, you haven't grown at all in the last six months. You don't look any more like Jesus today than you did six months ago. Something's going on. What is that? And people are like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Why are you going to be off my business? Like, whoa, back up a little bit, you know? That's kind of weird. No, it's family. I'm not talking about control. I, I, I'm talking about we, that the concern for one another is that we would be maturing and growing. That we would be maturing, that we would be growing. This is a family concept, not a business concept, not a restaurant concept, not a hotel concept. It is a family concept Paul is talking about. And so we very much have to go, okay, well then what does that require of me? I want, I want church to be a family. And listen, guys, the stage that you're in right now, two years in, two years in, is that right, Paul? Yeah. Is that right, David? Two years in is this. The, this. the natural flow of church is you gather a crowd. You want that crowd to go to community. You want that community to become family. This is a transition. And this is what you guys are right in the middle of this. Two years in, you're right in the middle of this. We've gathered a crowd. We're transitioning that crowd to community. But the goal is not just community. The goal is family. That's, what, that's, the, that's the transition we want people to go on. From crowd to community to family. Family is the goal, though, because family is where maturity really begins to happen in our lives. So the question, though, is this, all right, well, if, if family is the goal, and if I say, okay, I don't want to approach it as a restaurant, I don't want to approach it as a house, I want to see maturity happen in my life, I want to be equipped for, you know, the normal Christian life, I want to be edified, 
than, than what's required of my life. Listen, if I was to tell you one of the main prophetic words I believe the Lord has for the church in America right now, it is these two words, personal responsibility. It is amazing to me that when you think maturity and when you think family, one of the things that comes up is one of the main markers of maturity is personal responsibility. It really is. It's amazing. As I'm watching my own kids, as I see them maturing, they're taking responsibility for their lives in a way they didn't when they were younger. There's a personal responsibility that begins to kick in as a sign of maturity. And this is that thing that just says, all right, I'm going to take personal responsibility for my life and for following Jesus. When you got saved, when you got saved, you became a follower of Jesus. So my life is now following him. I want to look like him. I want, I want to live like him. And I want to do what he's asking me to do. So as a follower of Jesus, there are things that he asks of you. He, he you know, pray. Uh, um, you know, pray, pray for the sick. Take care of the poor and orphans and widows, uh, you know, uh, share your faith, disciple others, get life on life, be generous. These are just, these serve, these are just things that he asks us to do. What's amazing to me is when, when maturity is not my goal and therefore personal responsibility isn't something I'm going after, that without realizing it, many times we approach the church and the fivefold not to equip us. Not to equip us, not to mature us, but to do our Christian life for us. We don't, we don't realize it because, again, I'm not, I'm not mad at anybody at all. I'm not even, I, I, I believe so deeply in the church, and I am so encouraged by what God's doing in the church in America. But we've got to shift this mentality because without realizing it, when I walk into a restaurant, I am looking for them to do something for me. I'm here because I don't want to cook a meal. I'm here because I don't want to clean dishes. I'm here because I don't want to pick up. That's why I'm here. But, but I'm not in a restaurant. I'm in a house. And so, so without knowing it, many times we approach church and I'm looking for the pastor to build something to accomplish my Christian life for me. Jesus has asked certain things of me. And so I come to church looking for the church, the organization to do that for me. They have my, uh, I, I, my wife and I grew up in, in extremely different families. Like I, I grew up and I'll, I'll maybe share some of it in a minute about, about holidays. But I grew up in a family that was just me, my mom and my dad and my sister. My extended family kind of disowned us, super dysfunctional. I didn't really know them. And then I married into my wife's family, and it's crazy town. I, it's just crazy town. I love all of them, but they're just crazy. And there's a whole bunch of them, and, and there's half and step, and, and it's amazing. I love all of them. But, but the other thing is my dad was a police officer, so everything was very ordered in my life. And, and so everything had its place, and everything was clean, so pets were not a part of our life growing up. And then I married my wife, and I full-on married a zookeeper. I am not kidding you. <laughs> Guys, we have uh, it, bunnies and, and hamsters and dogs and fish and birds, and it's insane. But what my wife really loves is these dogs, and she's got this one dog named Dash, who's this golden retriever. She loves Dash, like loves Dash. Lo I think if I said, CJ, you've got to choose between me or Dash, I know she would choose me because we've made a covenant before God together. <laughs> 
I think it would take her a moment to make the decision, though. So, but when we first got Dash, he was crazy. He was chewing everything and digging everything and ripping the house up and wouldn't walk on a leash. And if you open the door, he was gone. And, and I finally was like, CJ, we got to do something about this. Like, I can't do this anymore. Like, this dog is out of control. He's chewing everything, won't walk on a leash, running away, digging everything. So I said, we got to get him trained. So I saw this uh, a, a class at PetSmart for uh, dog training classes. So I'm like, all right. So I paid like $180 for the 10 classes. I'm ready to go. And first day I bring my dog in. I'm already embarrassed because he won't walk on a leash. He chokes himself the entire time. Like he just the whole time walking on the leash. And so I kind of walk into the store. I kind of walk into the pet smart. Hey, hey, my dog's choking himself and he's pulling. I'm like trying to act like I don't need this class. And, uh, and then we kind of come in and sit down, and he sits down next to me. He's just coughing for like the first five minutes because he just choked himself walking in. And so we sit down, though. I'm sitting down, and the, the lady walks in. To, the dog trainer walks in. And as she starts the class, I notice that she's not talking to my dog. She's talking to me. And she talked to me for like an hour. And I thought it was weird because I'm like, I don't know why you're talking to me. Like, why are you talking to me? Like, I don't, I'm not the one that needs to be fixed. My dog, like... Fix my dog. Like, will you fix, a, fix my dog? And so I thought, okay, it's an introductory class. I come back the next week, and she continued to talk to me. And I, I'm not kidding you. I stopped going because I was so, because I finally realized, oh, wait a second. You're not actually training my, because I'm like, train my dog. Like, get my dog to stop chewing. Get my dog to stop digging. Get my dog to walk on a leash. Get my dog to obey when I tell it to come. Like, get my dog to do this. And what I realized was dog trainers don't train dogs. They train people. I stopped going. I was so frustrated. I was so irritated. I'm like, I did not pay money for you to teach me how to train my dog. I can go on YouTube for that. I came here for you to train my dog. Welcome to the church. <laughs> this is what happens. We come into the church, and we're looking for somebody to do what we're supposed to be responsible for. Jesus has called me to a Christian life uh, and, and to follow him and to take care of people and to serve and, and to disciple. And we come in, and we're saying, what is it that you're doing to take care of what God's called me to do? Personal responsibility. I, I don't want somebody else living my Christian life for me. I want to be equipped. I want to be encouraged. I want to be mature so that I can be more effective in what God has called me to. But I don't need somebody to do what God's called me to do. Okay, you're quiet right now. And I know there's a blizzard. And, but, but like this has got, we've got to make this shift. And I'm here to encourage you because this is what people long for, but they don't realize they approach the church this way. They don't realize I approach the church looking for somebody to do something. I want, I want the fivefold not to equip me. I want them to do my Christian life for me. Guys, I ran into this when we church plant. When you church plant, you run into a whole ton of stuff. It's, I love it. It's fascinating to me. Because when we opened the doors of our church, it wasn't like all new believers that came in. People were coming from different churches, you know, and finding tribe and, and, and coming and getting connected. And it was so funny because when we planted, we're super simple church. Like, we didn't have much going on. We've got stuff now. You know, we've got small groups now and different things going on. But at the beginning, we didn't have much. And so, you know, people might come up and I, I didn't have, we didn't have small groups. And, and, and I love small groups. We've got small groups. We've got small groups happening all the time. And people are plugged in and connected and doing life on life. But people would come and they'd be like, hey, uh, how do I get plugged into community around here? 
And I'm like, I, I don't know, invite somebody over to your house for dinner. And they were like really confused. They're like, what? No, no, no. Like, what's small group structure? How do I get plugged into community around here? And I'm like, I don't know. We don't have one. Like, go to Starbucks and uh, bring somebody with you. And, and, and they were so confused. It was really interesting to me how confused people were that they didn't know how to have somebody over to their house unless somebody built something. Or it might be that they have a, um, it, it might be that, you know, you know, their neighbor just got saved. They'll come up to me and be like, hey, my neighbor just got saved. Where's the new believers class? In your living room. And guess who the leader is? I anoint you in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit to go and... Because, right? Because it's not my job to disciple your neighbor. Okay, guys, I'm not trying to be harsh. I'm just saying it's not the five-fold ministry. It's not the church leadership's job to disciple your neighbor. It's your job to disciple your neighbor. It's my job to make sure you're effective and mature in your discipling of your neighbor. But it's not my job to disciple your neighbor. It's not my, you know, they might come and say, hey, uh, what's our church doing for the poor? I'm like, I don't know. What are you doing for the poor? I actually don't know what everybody's doing for the poor at our church. What they're asking is, is what's the 501c3 organization doing for the poor? And, and I, listen, I don't have a problem with that. I, I get that, that they would, I, there's a biblical precedence for bringing money to the apostles and they would distribute it. So I don't have a problem with that. But the point is this, if your church never gave to the poor, would you still lean in and ask God, what is it that I'm to do to take care of the poor in my city? Because you have called me as a follower of Christ to take care of the poor. Are you with me on this? <laughs> And many times what happens is, is we're looking for somebody else to do our Christian life because we're, we don't understand that we've come into a family. And in that family, what's required from us is personal responsibility because that's what maturity looks like. Maturity looks like I have to move my life into a place of personal responsibility where I'm not looking for somebody else to do my Christian life for me. One of the things that, that happens when you begin to take personal responsibility for your life is, is that, is that you, you go from being an externally motivated believer to an internally motivated believer. This is the transition that has to happen, and this is what begins to happen in family. What's required is, is that, one, you take personal responsibility. My son is, he's 13. I, he is like the poster child for everything I'm talking about. It's amazing. That boy will sit on the couch and just ask for everything to be given to him. <laughs> And at 13, like it was cute at five. At 13, I'm like, son, you're a grown man. Get up. I'm not going to get you. And he won't get up and get it if not. Like he doesn't want it that bad. Like you want to give me some water? No. Oh. I'm like, you are 13. Get up and go get your own food. <laughs> but but what begins to happen is, is that we have to go from externally motivated to internally motivated. Now, now, this is the big difference between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. The Old Covenant was an externally motivated covenant. The Old Covenant was an externally motivated covenant. The Old Covenant said, Aaron, obey your parents. He goes, well, what if I don't want to? Then we will stone you. <laughs> okay, I'm going to obey my parents. Yeah, you're darn right you are, unless we're going to throw rocks at you and kill you. It's an externally motivated covenant. The new covenant of, so the, 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 the covenant of law was an externally motivated covenant. The new covenant of grace is an internally motivated covenant. 
This is why anybody that tells you grace is a lower standard than the law is lying to you. Grace is actually a higher standard than the law. This is the crazy part. Grace is a higher standard. Because while the Old Testament said, hey, obey your parents, or the Old Testament said, don't, um, you know, don't, don't commit adultery, don't commit the act of adultery, the new covenant, Jesus came and says, don't lust unless you're committing adultery. The old covenant says, don't commit the act of murder. The new covenant says, don't hate somebody unless you're murder." Because he's dealing with an internal reality in our life now. The reason why Jesus could deal with an internal reality is because what the new covenant has that the old covenant doesn't have is the spirit of God now lives inside of me. And the spirit of God is now empowering my life, transforming me and leading me. We love as charismatics to say that we're spirit led people. But if you're a spirit-led person, that means that I'm an internally motivated person. And without realizing it, we are externally driven. We need external things to move us. We need uh, uh, grades. We need uh, police on the side of the road. We need a paycheck. We need something external to motivate us. But we have got, one of the things of maturity is that I move from being an externally motivated believer to an internally motivated believer. I think one of the reasons why pastors burn out is because we continually are trying to figure out just how to externally motivate people to do what Jesus has asked them to do. Rather than inviting them into a relationship with the Holy Spirit, who then begins to lead them and internally motivate them, we are constantly trying to come up with new, one new slogan, one new this, one new excitement, and, and we're constantly trying to externally motivate people. I don't know, and, and, and we all need, I have immaturity in my life. I have immaturity in my life. And, and the Lord's having to grow that. And, and so there are some areas that, that, you know, my son, when he's younger, I'm not mad at him that I have to externally motivate him. I'm not mad. Like my son, when he, uh, even now, but a couple years ago for sure, if I didn't externally motivate that boy, he would never brush his teeth. He would never change his clothes. He would never take a shower. And his diet would consist of, he would consist of cup of noodles, Salt and vinegar chips and Sour Patch Kids. That would be the entire extent of his, of his food. And so I'm externally motivating the boy, externally motivating him. I'm not mad about that. I'm not upset about that because there's an immaturity in his life. But if my son is 25 years old and I'm still having to externally motivate him to brush his teeth, to take a shower, to eat a decent meal, there's a problem. So it's not that I've got immaturity in my life. I really do. That's not the issue. The issue is not whether I have immaturity in my life. It's whether or not it's moving towards maturity. That's the goal. We, we have different levels of immaturity in this room. Inside of us, we have different levels of immaturity. The goal is not that we have no immaturity. It's that we're moving forward in maturity. And the reason why I say that is because part of maturity is it's that I go from being externally driven to internally driven. I'm an internally driven. So it's the difference between a babysitter and a parent. My daughter, as a 16-year-old, she's a phenomenal babysitter. But she needs a couple things. She needs money, and she needs a checklist. 
So when you come to her house, when she comes to her house, she'll do, she goes down that checklist and she does it. And so she'll, you know, make sure that you feed them at this time, make sure you give them a bath, make sure you read to them, make sure you do their homework, make sure you get them to bed at a certain time. She does all of that. She does it really well. But the difference between a babysitter and a parent is that a, a parent doesn't need those two things. In fact, if you're a parent, you'll know this. You're not making money. You're losing money. Uh, but you don't get a paycheck. You're losing money. But the other thing is, is parents don't need a checklist. Right? Because parents don't need a checklist because what a parent has that a babysitter doesn't have is an internal motivation called love. So that internal motivation called love is what's motivating me, driving me to make sure my kids fed, to make sure that they're, you know, that they get a book read to them, to make sure that they get a bath, to make sure they go to bed on time. That is being driven by an internal motivation. So a parent doesn't need a checklist and money because there's an internal motivation inside of them that a babysitter doesn't have. The goal is not that we don't ever need structure or external motivation around us. It's that, it, it, that we have to go from external to internal. You guys have small groups that you're running right now. It's really important that you jump into those things. Like, like, but the Bible tells us we're to live life on life. Healthy, thriving believers are planted in the presence of God, the word of God, and the family of God, community. If you want to be a healthy, thriving believer, community is one of those non-negotiables. You got to get life on life with people. But the goal is not that they come, not that there has to be some type of motivation to get you there and some type of exciting this and a really cool video and all this type of stuff to get you involved in life on life community. But that something inside of you says, as a follower of Jesus, as a follower of Jesus, he calls me to be connected with others. So therefore, I don't need my preacher, I don't need my pastor preaching a 10-week series on, you know, to motivate me and to fire me up for community. I'm going to do what Jesus has asked me to do, and I'm going to go, and I'm going to jump in and get involved and get life on life with people and be in a small group because that's what an, that's what an internally motivated believer does. Are you with me on this? And that's the goal. That's what family is what requires that. Family is what begins to require maturity. Guys, this is the one, of the, one of the issues of even serving. When I begin to approach, a lot of stuff changes when I approach. When I approach the church as a family, and this is my challenge for you today, that you begin to go, okay, where am I approaching the church as something other than a family? Because when I approach it as a family, all of a sudden things change. Serving is one of them. Serving is one of them. It's fascinating to me how much, you know, in church plant mode especially, like, it's all hands on deck. But as believers, we have to start seeing it as a family because it changes how I engage things. My, at, at Jesus Culture, we use the family language a lot. And so because of that, we have said that every time we gather, we want it to be Thanksgiving. Every time we gather on a Sunday, the goal is to have the best Thanksgiving we've ever had. And the reason why we use Thanksgiving is because that's become my favorite holiday. It wasn't before, but when I married into my family, you know, before with my little family, our holidays were just us four. So it was like, uh, you know, uh, my mom would open a gift and we'd sit there and look at it and talk about it and discuss it, write thank you notes about it. And then we'd go on to my dad and my dad would open a gift and he'd talk about it, discuss it, you know. And uh, that was kind of, our and then our Thanksgiving was just us four around a table. And then I started dating my wife, and then I married her, obviously. But first time I went to her house at 19 for Christmas, there was like 40 people 
there in the living room. And I was like, what's going on? She goes, this is our Christmas. I'm like, who are all these people? She goes, oh, this is our family for Christmas. I'm like, are you serious? This is crazy. And so I was legitimately asking, like, because there are kind of steps in half and all this. So I was like, well, who's this and who's this? And I said, who's that guy right there? He goes, she goes, oh, that's my brother, Dave. I said, oh, Dave, okay. Is that, is that your dad's side? Is that your stepmom's side? And she goes, she had to pause. She goes, neither, really. I said, well, how's he your brother, Dave, then? I'm not making this up. She goes, you know, I don't know. He just started coming around in high school. And uh, we just started calling him brother, and he's come ever since. I'm like, that's not even legal. You can't do that. What? I remember opening my gift. I was opening my gift, and I looked around, and like 10 other people were opening their gift at the same time. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Hold on here. I haven't finished opening my gift yet. You can't like, I open my gift. We talk about it. We discuss it. We think... I thought I've married a family of anarchists. But, but Thanksgiving quickly became my favorite holiday because when I came to Thanksgiving, when I came to Thanksgiving, uh, it was, I mean, aunts, uncles, cousins, nieces, nephews, grandparents, parents. It was amazing. It's my favorite holiday. We get together. We, you know, it just happened on Thursday. We get together. We watch football all day long. We cook. It's an amazing time. But when I was 19 and I showed up, I showed up and somebody handed me, as a 19-year-old, somebody handed me a bag of potatoes, a bag of sweet potatoes, and a potato peeler. And I said, I guess I'm peeling potatoes. So I peeled potatoes that year and... And uh, the, next, the next year I showed up, they gave me a bag of potatoes, sweet potatoes, and a potato peeler. And I'm like, I guess I peel potatoes. That's what I'm doing. I now, I, I am 42 years old. I'm a grown man. I pastor a church. I have a kid in college. I've authored books. Do you want to know what I did on Thursday? I peel potatoes. That's what I do now at Thanksgiving. That's my thing. I peel potatoes. I, this is how I contribute. I peel potatoes. And I've gotten good at it. I bring my own potato peeler now. I full on, I got a potato peeler from Japan. And I bring my own potato peeler now. And I'm just ready. I'm going to peel potatoes. This is what I do for Thanksgiving. Because there's a, and listen, I don't have a passion for potatoes. I don't, I don't have a, I don't have a, God didn't visit me and give me a mandate for potatoes. I don't feel called to potatoes. I don't have a passion for potatoes, but I do have a passion for family. And so because of my passion for family, I'm like, I don't care what I'm doing. I'm with family. And my only goal is to make this the best Thanksgiving ever. And I want to contribute to make that happen. And this is what everybody does. Everybody jumps in and contributes. Well, most everybody jumps in and contributes. And they're setting up tables and they're cooking food and they're, they're getting this and they're peeling potatoes. Do you know one of the reasons why we encourage people to serve? Not because we're, we're looking for employees. Not because there's some, you know, not, not because we need workers. Because that's just the natural outflow of family. When you gather, you jump in and contribute. In fact, there's three groups of people that don't contribute at Thanksgiving. One is the kids. They were out riding four-wheelers and goofing around. And, like, nobody's mad at them, right? Nobody's mad that they're not peeling potatoes. They're young. They're kids. And I say this lovingly. They're immature. They're thinking about themselves. And we're not mad about that. The other one is guests. Guests don't. The, the nieces and nephews bring home people from college. We're like, hey, sit there. You're, we're good. We got all this. We're going to distribute it. Don't worry about it. Guests don't. But there's that third group, and it's usually an uncle <laughs> who sits on the couch, doesn't help at all, and just randomly calls for people to bring him stuff while he's watching football. That's weird. <laughs> right? I mean, in the context of family, that's odd. 
That's odd. Not in the context of a, not in the context of a restaurant, though. If I walk into a restaurant, I'm not going like, "Hey, I saw you have mashed potatoes. I brought my potato peeler. You need some help? <laughs> Can I get back and clean something? What do you need?" Like I'm here paying you money to do that for me. But when I think family. Of course, it's the most natural thing in the world. And I don't, like lots of times people are like, hey, we need help in children's ministry. I just don't feel called to children's ministry. I don't even know what that has to do with anything. Do you feel called to family? Do you feel called to build what God's building here? Then whether it's peeling potatoes or, and, and here's the other thing. You know, in family, there's no leadership ladder. Nobody's, nobody's like angling for something. I'm not sitting there peeling potatoes looking at the turkey carver. One day, I won't be here forever. This is not, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be right there. Like, it just doesn't. There's no leadership ladder in family. You know, how you, you know how you excel in family? You mature. You grow. And, and this is why, even guys, again, if you can just take this and say, I'm gonna approach this as family, it, it, it filters down to everything from when, you know, we, we have, we're organized. We have structure, and we have uh, things, and I, I love all of it. But do you know we have there's greeters? When I walked in today, so I'm assuming you have a greeter ministry or part of it, yes? So people that are they're here, they show up early, and their job is to greet people and make them feel welcome when they come in. We have the same team. We love them dearly. But do you realize it is not their responsibility to make sure that people in this church feel welcome and loved? Because when I view this as a family you know what that means? This is my house, and I don't care what your personality is. There is not a chance that somebody's going to come into my house and sit by themselves and not feel welcomed and loved. There's not a chance that if I have a party at my house that somebody's knocking on the door and they walk in and just kind of stand there looking around, and, and I just don't even go up to them at all and engage them. It's not going to happen. I don't care if I'm the most introvert shy person on the planet. It's my house. Hey, welcome. Great to have you. Can I take your coat? You know, can I get you something to drink? Yeah, we do this at Thanksgiving. Sometimes I'll walk by, there'll be a guest that's at Thanksgiving. This just happened last year. In fact, they brought a, a, a basketball player home. My, my nephew plays basketball. And he was sitting there and I walked by him and, and my wife's like, go over there and have him meet some people. So I looked over, hey, you don't know anybody here. Come on, come with me. You peel potatoes? Let's do this. So... <laughs> There's no way. So there's, nobody should come into this church. That They should be greeted by 50 people. Because when I take personal responsibility for this is my family, then nobody ever sits alone, ever. Nobody ever looks like they somehow don't know anybody. Like this is never happening, ever. And I'm going to find out. And I'm not looking for somebody else to do my Christian life for me. I'm not looking for so, well, the greeters. That's the greeters' responsibility. And that's not my responsibility. That's the greeters' responsibility. No, this is my responsibility because this is my house. This is my house. And I'm going to approach it as a house. I'm going to approach it as a family. That means that I jump in and I get involved. And if, it peels, if it's peeling potatoes, it's peeling potatoes. But that's what family does. This is not a, this is, again, listen, this is not... Don't ever do anything if you feel manipulated. Can I just give you permission right now? Don't ever give, don't ever serve if you feel manipulated and guilted into it. But we've got to transition to where the spirit of God inside of us is leading us 
maturing us to take personal responsibility. I'm not looking for somebody else to do my Christian life for me. I'm not looking for, I'm not at a restaurant paying somebody, a hostess. I am here. And if I, I'm not at a restaurant and the guy's sitting by himself, I'm like, hey, you're, come on over here to my table. That's not going through my head at a restaurant. It is going through my head at a house. It is going through my head at a family. And therefore, if this is family, there's something that's required from my life. There's something that's required from my life. And guys, this is what we long for. And they can tell when they walk in those doors. I'm telling you, people can tell when they walk in those doors of this family. Stand up for me. I've gone long, but we don't have a second service. And I, th I think we're stuck here anyways. A blizzard hit. We're all here today. We're sleeping in here tonight. This is my big challenge, guys. Am I viewing the church as a business or as a family? Do I even know how I view the church? Am I frustrated because the church isn't meeting my needs? Am I frustrated because, you know, they're wanting me to do this or they're wanting me to do that or, or this isn't happening? Am I looking for somebody to do what Jesus has asked me to do? We're here because we want to be equipped. We want to be matured. God, I, I feel so, so strongly about what you're doing here at this church. It is significant, not just for this city, but for the nation. God, you have put an anointing and a mantle on David to help reshape the church in America. This house has an apostolic call to reshape how church is done in America. Father, I thank you for the people that you've brought in just a few short years. You've brought people together to find community, to grow together. But Lord, I pray that we continue to be challenged around this issue of maturity and personal responsibility. God, we don't want to be externally motivated believers. We want to be internally motivated believers. And then, Father, I pray that every person that comes in here would find family. They would find people that are looking to grab them and bring them home. And I don't want to pray this. I, I need to turn this over. I, but we have a couple in our church. We started speaking these types of messages. And they just said, what are we to do? How are we to contribute? You know what they do on Sundays now? They'll sit next to somebody on Sundays and they'll meet them and they may not, they don't know them. They'll make sure to meet them. And then they'll just ask God, God, who is it that we're supposed to take out to lunch today? And they just find people they don't know. They maybe met, sit next to them. And they said, hey, can we take you to lunch today? And they've just started taking people to lunch on Sundays. They have some of the most amazing stories that are coming from them just going. There's, there's no program. We don't have a take people to lunch program. We just have people that said, God, I want to lean in and I want to help build family here. And so there are people here that maybe don't know anybody. And so I'm going to take them to lunch today. They have some of the craziest stories they tell me about the encounters they're having with people when they take them and buy them lunch. This is what I'm talking about, that we would be that type of church, that we would be that type of family, and that any area in our lives that is somehow trying to come to church as if it's a restaurant, a hotel, a business, that we just say, Lord, strip that thing down. Get that, like, strip that away from me. I don't want to view it that way. Lord, and I just pray that, that you would, 
challenge any area in our life that we've somehow been okay with immaturity. God, there's immaturity in my life. I need you to grow me. I don't want to stay there. I, I, I want to grow into the fullness of the stature of Christ. May we all embrace this, God. May we all jump in and contribute and serve and love people and give because you're calling us to that. Amen. Amen. I believe this is a clear word for us to take us to the next level. I'd like us just to linger a little longer right here, all right? Can we do that? Can you just close your eyes? And would you just take a minute and ask the Lord, okay, God, what does this look like for me? Holy Spirit, I'm a part of a family. What are you saying to me? What's an, what's an application, a right now application in my own journey, my own life? Now, would you just take a second and would you just pray, intercede for this church family that we would become a family more and more as the years go by? Father, in the powerful name of Jesus, we thank you that you are doing a beautiful work. We thank you for this church. We thank you for what you're doing. And God, I thank you, Lord, for the faithful saints that have gathered and even in this moment where it's an impending blizzard and some of the faithful saints show up and get this word, God, let this go right to our core. Let this become a cultural conviction that we embody week to week. God, do something unique in us today. Make us a family, God, that we might be a light to our city. I just want to invite you today. Maybe you're here today and and you want to make a decision to make Jesus the Lord of your life and you see a family and you feel like you're not a part of God's family. Maybe it was years ago that you had sought out God a little or you haven't been walking in a close relationship with Jesus. Maybe this is new to you. Maybe you wandered in today. But if you'd like to begin a journey with Jesus, I just want to invite you just to pray this prayer just you and God right there. Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. I give you my life. Come and save me today. I want to be a part of your family. Give me new life in Christ. Do a fresh work in me. I choose to follow you. Heal me. Save me. Redeem me. Change me. I want to be a part of the family of God. In Jesus' name, amen.